Let no one deceive himself. If anyone thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to teach us and lead us today through his word. Heavenly Father, thank you for the testimony from our children this morning of your goodness. God, that you are the fount of every blessing. That there is no other fount that we can run to that we will find the blessings that we find in you. Father, thank you for their witness to us this morning. God, I even just pray over our children as they go to their classes this morning. Would you deepen their trust and their faith in you, Lord Jesus? And Lord, we ask the same thing in our gathering. Lord, we need to become wise, but we cannot do that through our own strength, our own endeavors, our own books, our own schools. Lord, you are the God who is only wise. And so, Lord, would you teach us today? Would you shape us and change us? Would you make us more like Christ? Would you send us out from this gathering today rejoicing in the Savior that we have? Pray that you be with us. Lead us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't really need to tell you this because you know this already, but nobody wants to be a fool, right? Nobody wants to be the fool. Nobody likes being called a fool. No one likes that feeling of being the only person in the room who doesn't get what's going on and feels like an idiot. No one wants to be a fool. That's just kind of ingrained in us. There's a story of a famous evangelist, D.L. Moody, you may know him, uh, that he was handed a note on his, as he was on his way up to go preach. And he thought it was just simply an announcement. So as he got up there, he pulled out and prepared to read it. And opening the paper, he found in large print only one word, the word fool. Now, being quite witty and clever, he said to those he was about to preach to, I've just been handed a memo which contains the single word fool. He said, this is most unusual. I've often heard of those who've written letters and forgotten to sign their names, but this is the first time I've ever heard of anyone who signed his name and then forgot to write the letter clever. He then promptly changed his whole sermon to address the text of Psalm 14, which says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Very clever. I want you to know this morning, if you hand me a note with a single word on it, I will not change my sermon just for you. Uh, and please don't call me a fool. But no one likes that, right? We, we, that's a funny story because we realize like, oh, in a way he kind of turned that back on them and, um, and kind of called that person out. But no one likes to be called a fool. In fact, when we read the Bible and you see what the Bible has to say about the fool, certainly you don't want to be called a fool in biblical terms either. Because the Bible says this, that a fool is someone who denies that God exists. A fool is someone who has no fear of God or mocks God. 
A fool is someone that takes sin lightly. A fool is someone that lies and is quick to anger and loves money and takes advantage of others and wastes their time, among many, many other things. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been telling us that the unbelieving person, the non-Christian, calls the gospel folly. The message of salvation in Christ and Christ alone, Paul says, the unbelieving world calls that message folly. And in tandem with that, calls the Christian, the one who believes in it, a fool. Therefore, we have a problem. We have this tension. Because on one hand, the world calls Christians fools. But then on the other hand, the Bible says that those who deny the Lord are also fools. So we have this tension where everyone's going to be called a fool. But the question is, by whom? Who will be the one that calls you foolish? Will it be the word of God and God himself or will it be the world? Well, Paul's argument in the first three chapters, he's been talking a lot about wisdom and foolishness, saying that the gospel is foolishness to the world. But the gospel, from God's perspective, is the wisdom and the power of God. And so the first three chapters are really coming to a crescendo here at the end of chapter 3, where Paul is essentially saying this to us, because all of this is true, because the gospel itself is true, it is from God, it's his wisdom, because the gospel is true, we must become fools to this world. Because the gospel is true, we must become fools to this world. So as we work our way through this passage this morning, we're going to focus on that, that becoming a fool to the world is necessary, it is wise, and it is worth it. Becoming a fool is, to the world is necessary. Look at how this passage begins. It says, Let no one deceive himself. If any one of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Why is becoming a fool to this world necessary? First and foremost, because we don't naturally know wisdom like God does. We think we do. We think we're really smart and really wise. But we don't know wisdom like God does. Paul has been telling us regularly throughout this letter how the unbelieving world views God's wisdom as foolishness. But now what he's going to do here is he wants to tell us how God views things. He says, here's how the unbelieving world views the gospel, but now I want to tell you how God views everything. And guess what? It's different. The way God views things is different than the way we do. All right, I'll take obvious things for 300, please. God views things differently than we do. He says, what the world says is wise, God says that same thing is folly. Now, two people could look at the same thing from different perspectives and see different things, right? That's exactly what's happening here. Two people looking at the same thing from two different perspectives, and guess what? They see drastically different things, even though they're looking at the same thing. We, this, this plays itself out all the time in our lives. We can all look at the same thing from a different perspective and see something totally different. Okay, I'm going to show you a quick painting. We're going to look at this painting from a really close viewpoint. And we could talk about all that we're going to see. Take a look at this painting. We could all look at this picture and say, oh, wow, look at that. There's colors and 
cracks and I don't even know if I really see anything. It's just kind of a blob or maybe some of you are really great with art and you're starting to see pictures and you can describe what you're seeing and be really passionate to help others see what you see. But we could look at this exact same painting, but now from a slightly different perspective when we start to see something else. If we zoom out a little bit. Now some of you are like, oh, wait a minute. I think I know what this is. I think I know this painting. It's not just, a, it's not just green and some river and, and trees. It's actually a person. And it's actually a really famous painting of a person. Because if we zoom out a little bit further, we see it's the Mona Lisa, right? But we would all see something different based off of our perspective. The closer we are to it, we only see certain things. We maybe can't even identify if it's a painting or we can't even identify how famous of a painting it really is compared to the person that sees the whole thing. They see it for what it is. They see how everything comes together and complements each other, different perspectives. It's obvious to say this, but it needs to be said. God has a different perspective on the world than we do. Very similarly, we see the world like this. I see my life, my problems, my city, my circumstances, my company, my family, my job. And guess what? God sees all of that too, but he also sees everything else. He has a drastically different perspective than all of us. And because of that, he sees things differently than we do. But not only does he see things differently, he himself is different. We are finite. He is infinite. Infinite. Literally no, no boundaries or containers on him. We are a created being. He is a creator. We are sinful. He is perfect and holy. So not only is his perspective different, his very nature is different. He's going to see things differently than we do. If God is truly God, then surely every single human being must be willing to agree with that. That if God is God, he must see things differently than we do. Which means there's probably going to be things that we disagree with about how God sees things. Like, oh, again, I don't know about that, Lord. Like, I think it's this way. Oh, cool. Well, you, look, you see everything like this. So, <laughs> But even as we read the scriptures, we see when it comes to wisdom, God does things differently. Right? Everything almost becomes flipped in God's perspective. We see that suffering is actually glory. We see that death actually brings life. That surrender can actually be freedom. That wisdom is folly and folly is wisdom. That weakness is power and leaders are servants. Now, we don't see all of that plainly, but because we've seen the cross of Christ, we know that so many of those things are sure, even if we don't fully understand them. God sees things differently than us, particularly what is wise. What is wise? We've all had that experience before of thinking like, oh, this is the thing I really need in my life. And then you get like a couple weeks down the road, things change and you realize like, oh, if I had that, I would die, everything would have been ruined. I'm so glad I didn't have that. You gained wisdom. God has that always at all times. In fact, Romans 11 says so beautifully, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
It's as if Paul, as he is ending this section to talk about wisdom and foolishness, it's as if he's calling us and inviting us to say, hey guys, come up here. Come get some perspective. Come see like God sees. Step away from the painting. Step back here with with the Lord and see from his perspective. See what he sees when he looks at the wisdom of the world. God actually knows what wisdom is. So becoming a fool to the world is necessary because we don't see like God sees, but also we are so easily deceived. Verse 18 says right here, let no one deceive himself. You don't say that unless people are tempted to deceive themselves. We are so, we are so receptive to being deceived that he's saying not, not just that you're receptive to other people deceiving you, we deceive ourselves. Now, I don't want to be deceived. You don't want to be deceived. And yet here we find ourselves, we deceive ourselves. It's the effects of sin on us. So not only do we not have the perspective of God, we have this perspective and we're deceiving ourselves as we have this perspective. How in the world could we ever know what's truly wise? He says, if any of you thinks that he's wise in this age, and he's using some irony here, you think you're wise in this age, well then become a fool so that you might actually become wise. Meaning that there's people in this church that he's writing to that think they are wise in this age. There are some of us here this morning that think we are wise in this age. But we deceive ourselves in so many ways. First and foremost, by thinking that we are wise thinking we got all of these strategies and techniques and plans and keys to success and technology that gives us access to anything we could ever want. We think we are wise and we're deceiving ourselves. We think that we can inform God. So, well, God, no, this is how you should do things. This is exactly what the Corinthians were doing in this church with their spiritual leaders. They were essentially thinking we can inform God on whom he can use to spiritually lead us. We're deceiving themselves. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're somebody, to thinking that we're so important, that what matters most is us. We deceive ourselves into thinking that this is what matters. My career, having praise, having things, being happy, I'm doing good. We are so easily deceived. In fact, if it's not for God intervening, we will never, ever know what wisdom is. But thankfully, the Lord has revealed wisdom to us. He has not left us alone. But we will never be wise apart from the Word of God. You cannot be wise apart from the Word of God. Psalm 19 says this, The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making wise the simple. Or 2 Timothy chapter 3, in talking about the scriptures, it says, they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The scriptures, no matter your education, no matter your background, no matter how smart you are, the scriptures are able to make wise the simple, but for a specific purpose, because wisdom is a means to something good. If we just pursue wisdom for wisdom's sake, we miss the point of wisdom 
And in fact, it won't be wisdom because wisdom is a means to a good outcome, namely salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Wisdom is always a means for a good goal. The Lord is never deceived, even though we are self-deceived. He is the faithful witness, and so he invites us in this text. If any of you thinks he's wise in this age, here's the invitation. Become fools that you may become wise. So how do we actually become wise? By becoming a fool for Christ. Becoming a fool to the world is actually wise is what God is saying. And verse 20 tells us why in 19 and 20. Look at 20 with me. It says, it's quoting the scriptures. This is quoting Psalm 94. It says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Worldly wisdom is futile. The word futile means this, unproductive. It doesn't do anything. Nothing comes from it. It is without profit, without purpose. It's meaningless. So those that spend their lives pursuing the wisdom of the world are doing something, but actually doing nothing at the same time. They're unproductive. It would be like, I was thinking about this, I, 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 ran, a, I ran a fitness race a couple months ago and there's, a, there's the actual race course and then there's the warm-up area. The warm-up area has all the same equipment that you'd find in the race. A sled push, weights, skiing machines, all of the things that you would find in the race, a treadmill to warm up. But if somebody went to the race and only spent all of their time in the warm-up area and then left saying, look at what I did, look at what I accomplished, everyone who actually ran the race would look at the person and say, you didn't do anything. They'd say, no, 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 but I ran... I ran five miles and I did all these things and you're like, but it didn't count for anything. It got you nothing. It's futile. It's purposeless. It's unproductive. It doesn't do anything. Which means that all of the striving for significance, all of the hours of trying to make a name for yourself, all the toiling for more money, all of the heartache, searching for that one person that's finally going to complete you, all of the striving to be important and happy and satisfied and successful, the Bible says is meaningless, unproductive, pointless. And what he says here in verse 20, the Lord knows this. The Lord knows this. And one day, everyone will know this. But for many, it will be too late. Christians, we are not untouched by this temptation because we are easily deceived. We deceive ourselves into thinking, no, 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 that's... That's what that, those are the things that matter. Those are the things I need to devote myself to. Don't deceive yourself into wasting your days in futile pursuits. But it's worse than that. It's not just futile. 
it leads to death. Look at what 19 says. The wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, this is from Job 5, he catches the wise in their craftiness. He's using a hunting analogy. Now I'm looking around, I don't know that many of you in here are hunters. Some of you may surprise me, uh, but I don't see a lot of hunters in the room that I know of, but this is a hunting analogy. It's, it's this picture of a hunter being wiser than what it's hunting, but knowing that what he's hunting is crafty, is sneaky, has a few tricks up their sleeve, is pretty self-confident. So the hunter uses the prey, what he's hunting, their own craftiness against itself to ultimately catch it. And what Paul's doing in bringing this up is he's saying, your worldly wisdom will kill you. But the whole time, you'll think you're being wise. You'll think you're escaping. You'll think you're getting ahead, but actually it's leading you to your death. Proverbs 14 agrees. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Church, that could be a banner for our world at all times. There is a way that seems wise to a man, but in the end, everybody dies. It's really sobering. No matter how passionate you are that it is the right way, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but in the, but in the end, it's death. And so Paul's calling us back. He's saying, that's a way of deception. He's urging us to abandon that course and come back to the one that leads us back to the Lord. And unless we become fools, we die. Unless we become fools, we die. Look at what Proverbs 8 says. This is, sometimes wisdom speaks in Proverbs. So this is wisdom being personified and speaking to us. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Become fools or we die. Regardless of how many days you've spent wasting your life in pursuit of worldly wisdom and status, redemption is waiting for you in Christ Jesus. He can redeem all of our lost days, all of our lost time. That's what he does. Because becoming a fool is actually God's wisdom. Say the wisdom of the world, it, it's futile, it's unproductive, it's going to ultimately kill you. But if you're willing to become a fool to the world, you'll actually find yourself in God's wisdom. In God's wisdom. Because Jesus himself became a fool to save us. Jesus embraced worldly foolishness to save sinners. You know, when Jesus came to earth, people hated him. Hated him. His own family hated him. 
Those that hated Jesus thought he was stupid. They thought he was arrogant. They thought he was prideful. They thought he was uneducated. They thought he was insane. They thought he was possessed by demons. Translation, they thought he was a fool. That didn't just happen to Jesus, though. He embraced that. He was despised and rejected. But that was the plan. The plan was for Jesus to take on human flesh and do the most foolish thing possible. God, come and take the place of sinners and be rejected and despised and hated and spit on and mocked by the things he created from the dust of the earth. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. It's foolish. But that's the means through which God chose to save sinners, where he would come and he would say, I will be despised and rejected in your place. I will go to the cross to receive the punishment for the sins that you deserve to pay for. And you're not even asking me to do this because right now you're enemies with me. But in my love, I'll be foolish. In my love, I'll give all of myself to save you. Jesus did that for you if you believe. It's so foolish. In fact, I, I've even, I remember one time sitting in a, um, sitting in a Bible class at a college, not a, was not a Christian university, listening to a, a Bible teacher teach about the life of Christ, critiquing Jesus' decisions saying this was stupid of Jesus because from this point forward, his crucifixion was inevitable. They were going to kill him. If only Jesus was smart enough to not have made these decisions, he wouldn't have died this way. That's the whole point. It's literally planned. This is, this is God's plan to be a fool in the eyes of the world to save sinners. And thank God that it is because it's the only way we could be saved by Christ in our place. And all who will believe in him will be saved. And so guess what? That means that to become a Christian is to also become a fool because it's to give yourself to this Jesus, to this king, to say this foolish king that God himself crucified, he's the sovereign creator of the world. He was in control the whole time. He did it intentionally. It was actually according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God before the world existed. You sound so stupid when you say that. But that's the wisdom of God. That sounds like foolishness to the world. So to become a Christian, the essence of becoming a Christian is to become a fool to the world. There is no escaping that. Biblically, there's no category for super cool Christian. Like, the better, the, the sooner we can believe that, the better for us. To become a Christian, you must become a fool. But not, not become a fool in protest. Like, ah, oh, but I, don't, I really don't want to. But okay, I guess. Not in fear. Not in dread. But willingly. Willingly. He says, let him become a fool. That is an invitation to embrace this identity. The call of Christianity is to become a fool willingly. 
to become unashamed, happy fools for Jesus. Unashamed, happy fools for Christ. Will we? Will we be unashamed fools for Christ? Will we happily be called fools by the world? Or will we try to follow Jesus and believe in him, but also maintain this identity of being awesome? Of being like, oh, you're like one of the cool ones that's like not, you know, exclusive and pushy and weird and like actually believes like all the things in the Bible. You're like, you're like somebody that's also like, just like super cool, you know? Or will we willingly embrace being a fool, gladly, unashamed, happy fools for Christ? Will we be like what we read in 2 Corinthians 12 from Paul himself who says this, for the sake of Christ, I am content with insults. Will we be like the apostles in Acts chapter 5 after they are beaten and thrown in prison and mocked and abused and made fun of for representing Christ? and then leave rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame. Will we be like Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 who are beaten and thrown into prison for talking about Jesus and yet in the middle of the night they're singing worship songs and hymns to the Lord. Or like we see in Jesus, our Lord who is burdened. And as the scriptures tell us before the cross, he was sorrowful to the point it could have killed him. It wasn't a pleasant experience to go to the cross, but the book of Hebrews says it was for the joy set before him he endured the cross. Unashamed, happy fools for Christ will we gladly embrace becoming fools? So Paul's saying becoming a, a fool to the world is necessary. Becoming a fool to the world is actually wise. And lastly this, becoming a fool to the world is worth it. It's worth it. How is anybody willing to become a fool? How do you think about that? How could anyone willingly walk towards that? Why would anyone willingly embarrass themselves? The only reason anybody does that is if they believe that what they gain by being a fool is better. It's why people will do crazy, insane things for things like love, right? We love a good story like that. Somebody that's willing to look like a fool because they love that person so much they don't care what anybody thinks. They'll look insane to everyone because they know what they're getting in the one they love. Or maybe, maybe a more common experience for most of us, it's why most of us are willing to do things that are crazy for money. <laughs> People do really weird things if they know they're gonna get some money for it. I went into a warehouse uh, sale yesterday, or maybe it was Friday, I went to a warehouse sale where I was just like, you know what? I heard there's a big sale on shoes. They're like 75% off brand new running shoes. I'm like, I'll, I'll just go get some. It'll be great. I walk into this store. 
madhouse, madhouse. I go back to the shoes. It's, the, the shelves are bare. It's just boxes on the floor. It's a free-for-all. I'm, I'm rummaging through, trying to find my size, find something that's going to fit me. And as I'm doing this, I see this guy stacking boxes. And I, I assume he's an employee, like organizing the boxes until I realize, actually, he's just going up to piles of boxes and grabbing like six at a time and coming, stacking it into a pile. And I realize, oh, he's buying all of these. And I walked up to him. I was like, hey, man. Got all, all my shoe sizes are in your pile. I can't get any. No, I didn't say that to him. I said, hey man, how many, are you buying like 100 pairs of shoes? He goes, 200. <laughs> it's like, whoa. I think, is that like against the rules? Is there a limit per customer? It's like, you're going to resell them? He's like, yep. <laughs> so here's a guy who comes into a store and looks so dumb in the store, packing up 200 boxes of shoes. But in his brain... He just hears cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. I'm buying this thing for 20, but selling it for 80 times 200. That's a lot. I did not prepare myself for any math up here, so I don't know how much that's going to be. But he was willing to look really stupid and really foolish to the whole store because he knew he was going to make some money. Becoming a fool for Jesus is so worth it. But the world's trying to tell you, with everything it has, being a fool for Jesus is just not worth it. It's not worth it. That's what the world says. But the scripture says something else. Look at what Proverbs 3 says. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. You believe that? Becoming a fool to the world is worth it. Paul tells us why. In verse 21, he says, Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. You didn't catch that. Let me read it again. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all of those leaders that you were boasting and saying, I belong to them, Paul's saying, they belong to you. Or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. Paul is giving you the gospel motivation for why you can willingly and happily become an unashamed fool for Christ because it's worth it. Everything is yours. In fact, he flips the whole argument on its head. This is unexpected. The people were saying, I belong to Peter. I belong to Cephas. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Paul. They're my teachers. They're the ones I belong to. Paul's saying, no, they belong to you, the church. They actually serve you. In fact, not just them. Everything's yours because of Christ. All things are yours. And then he goes to list some things because we start to think, well, surely not all things. But then he says, the world, life, death present, future, all are yours. All things belong to you. And he's talking 
plural. Church, you, all things are yours. The rest of the, the scriptures testify to this. Ephesians 1 says this, that God is bringing all things in heaven and earth under one head, Jesus. And Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is the heir of all things. And we are told that we are co-heirs with Christ. So if, if God is in the process of bringing everything in heaven and earth underneath one head, Jesus, and Jesus is the heir of all things, and we are co-heirs with Jesus, transitive property, remember learning about that? All things are yours. All things are yours too. You are the heir of all things. Here's what one pastor says, Rick Amash, he says this, Here's the logic. Jesus is the heir of all things and we are joint heirs with Jesus. Therefore, we are the heirs of everything. Everything. Every mountain, every tree, every beach, every lake. And we're not talking the ones that we see now, the old earth. The pollute, not the polluted kind or the corrupt kind. We're talking the redeemed kind. The ones on the new earth. In fact, the whole earth is ours. And this solar system is ours. And this galaxy with 200 billion stars and this universe with 100 billion galaxies, it's all ours. You, child of God, are the heir of everything. Whatever that means ultimately, I don't know. But I know it's all ours. It's the benefit of sonship. Does it take your breath away? Paul says, it's worth it to become a fool for Christ. Why? Because everything is yours. Everything. All things are yours. So whatever you feel like you lose by becoming a fool for Christ, you've not lost anything. In fact, you've gained everything. Everything. Not only does it mean that all things belong to you, it also means that all things are for you. They're for your good. Everything in existence, both now and forever, are working for the benefit of the church. All things. Everything is working for the benefit of God's people. Romans 8 tells us that. That God works all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things. All things. All things are yours. But even better than just the stuff, the thing that is mostly ours, is Christ. He says, you are Christ and Christ is God's. We belong to the Lord and, and he is ours. One of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, It is a joy to have heaven. It is a joy to also possess life now to fit me for heaven. But the greatest joy of all is to have my God, my own Savior's God, is to have my Father, my own Savior's Father, to be all my own. For God himself has said, I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, he has not given you earth and heaven only, though that were much. He has given you the heaven of heavens himself. The greatest of all gifts and treasures is that God gives us himself. And if he gave us nothing else, 
it would still be the heaven of heavens. So he says, become a fool for Christ. It's worth it. Do you not know what's yours? All things are yours. Christ is yours. He's given you himself. How truly foolish for us in those moments to say, no, no, no. I need to be wise here in this situation. I need to appear as, as, as cool, as, as smart, as wise, as not a fool for Christ because I might lose something. All things are yours. It's worth it to not be rich so that you can be generous for Christ. It's worth it to not be popular because you're being obedient to Jesus. It's worth it to not be the best or not be feared so that you can humbly serve others for Christ. It's worth it to be rejected completely because you love Jesus, because you actually share the gospel with people, because you invite them to come and know and believe the God of this word. It's worth it, ultimately, to suffer, to lose, and to die because you follow Christ, because all things are yours. All things are yours. Proverbs 24 says this, My son, eat honey, for it is good and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. I want some honey. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. He's saying, church, come and find wisdom. Come and find Christ. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures and wisdom of God. And it will be like honey dripping to your soul. It will be sweet. Well, as we close this morning, I want to just get, put our attention to see what God sees right now. Come and see what the Lord sees because as we do, it puts everything into perspective and Re Revelation chapter 5 gives us a picture of what's happening right now in the heavens. We need to have our eyes fixed on eternity in order to understand what's happening here. Revelation 5. Just listen to this. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's what's going on right now. That's happening right now. 
Our Lord Jesus sits on his throne, worshiped and praised as the lamb who was slain. Will we forsake the meaningless rewards of boasting in men and boasting instead in knowing Christ? Why would we boast in anything else? Unless we don't believe it. Will we become unashamed, happy fools for Christ? Let me pray and then we're going to respond to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are so easily deceived. But we thank you that in your mercy you have opened our eyes that we might see you, that we might see Jesus in whom is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Lord, we need your help. You know our weakness. You know our tendencies. You've shared these bodies with us. You know what it feels like to be a fool. You know what it's like to actually walk in the wisdom of God and, and, and what that brings here on earth. That is no surprise to you. You felt that, Lord, so you know what we feel. You know what we experience. We need your help. Mostly, Lord, we need your help to believe to believe that this is worth it, to believe that all things are ours, to believe that you are who you say you are, that what we read in Revelation 5 is actually true and is happening. Lord, would you help us happily embrace being fools for Christ? Lord, we need you to minister to us. We need you to change us. We cannot force ourselves into becoming this way. God, we need your spirit to move among us and make us people like this. Would you help us empty ourselves before you and say, we want more of Christ. Less of ourselves, we want more of Christ. Make us more like Jesus. Lord, we are open to you this morning. We are receptive to you. Would you speak to us? Show us the specific ways in which you're calling us to embrace being fools this morning. Thank you that you're a God we can trust. Thank you that you have our good in mind at all times. I pray this in Jesus' name.